1: I'm your co-host from BleacherReport.com, Chad Dundas, and joining me as always from MMA Junkie in USA today, it's your friend and mine, Mr. Ben Folks. Ben, an unusual problem this week. Yeah. Sometimes the show suffers from what we like to call ain't shit going on. Yeah. This week, almost too much shit going on. Kind of feels that way. I mean, it's a good problem to have. It certainly is. We got the double... uh event weekend coming up with both bellator and the ufc so fighting stuff happening we're going to go ahead and dispense with our normal uh introduction part of the show where you would give us updates on your hockey team well that's i mean if you want if you want
0: to feel the outrage fine you go ahead and you do that people are going to be pissed off at you though
1: win or lose this past week oh so now we're going to do it i just want one word lose okay uh we're going to try to get through as much listener mail during the first part of the show as we can because we got a lot of good ones. Uh, This week, and then we will move on to our usual business. Uh, A couple different things, though, this week. Uh, the co-main event podcast is pleased to announce that this episode is brought to you by our exclusive sponsors at Fulton and Rourke. Due to the success of our Patreon, we hope to do fewer ads on the CME this year. No more round one or round two ads. Just one ad per episode at the top of the show, and we're excited to say that Fulton and Rourke is in that slot this week. Also, good news for the co-main event universe, because our exclusive coupon code is back in service at FultonandRourke.com. Starting now, you can enter the code CME and get 15% off Your first purchase from Fulton & Rourke, no matter if you aim to pick up their enchanting bar soap, one of their outstanding solid colognes, or the brand new 2-in-1 shampoo and body wash.
0: Enchanting, I like that. You know, the new shampoo and body wash is the latest smash hit from our boys at Fulton & Rourke. It's specially formulated using using rosemary extract, vitamin B5, that's the good one, and uh, caffeine, which I am a fan of, to give it a uniquely invigorating fragrance while leaving your hair and skin looking and feeling good long after you stepped out of the shower.
1: Speaking of invigorating fragrances, you know what I'd do. I would use my coupon code to pick up some of Fulton & Rourke's Sterling brand cologne, which just happens to be their all-time fastest-selling cologne fragrance. It's so wonderful that some of the co-main event's long-time listeners have tried it and tweeted about its absolute splendor, including the show's unofficial technology consultant, Andrew Millington, and, you guessed it, our guy the Cheeseburger Wallace. Oh, yeah. Whatever you get, don't forget you can get 15% off your first purchase at FultonRourke.com with the coupon code CME. We got music again this week from our friend Dion Rodriguez a music producer from Deltona, Florida. If you like what you hear from him on the podcast, you can check out more at soundcloud.com slash dbeat7. And again, that's the word beats with a Z. Beats. Sure it is. As always, if you enjoy the co-main event podcast, you can do us a serious solid by rating, reviewing, or subscribing to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever platform you listen to the show on. That stuff really does help our ranking and our rating. So lend us a hand if you've got a few minutes. And write us a review, well, Jed.
0: You mentioned our Patreon. You know how I'm always saying that it takes a village to make a podcast.
1: I've I've never heard you say that. Really, it's weird.
0: I because I feel like I'm saying it like a lot, like almost too much.
1: This is literally the first time I'm hearing about it.
0: Well, I assure you that it won't be the last, because as you know, we put out the call for our Patreon subscribers last episode. Boy, did our listeners ever respond. I mean, we got pledges from longtime listeners. We got pledges from people we didn't know were listeners. We got pledges, naturally, from some soccer stars. Uh, even hockey great Mario Lemieux kicked in. I know that one means a lot to you. It does. It really does. So I want to take this time to say thank you to all those people. We appreciate your support. We appreciate this community of smart and occasionally fictional listeners. And if you haven't yet signed up to be a patron of the CME and an official friend of the podcast, you can do so now by going to patreon.com slash co-main event. You can help make this podcast possible. You know why, Chad?
1: (sighs) Is it because advertising and merchandise sales help, but it takes a village to make a podcast? See,
0: I say it so much, I even got you saying it now. It's weird.
1: Three rounds as usual this week in the co-main event podcast in round number one. At least we can rest assured that after getting demoted from main event to co-main event, a guy like Rory McDonald won't quietly yet intensely fixate on it as a personal insult and then intend to compensate by doing terrible violent things to Douglas Lima. And around round number two, Daniel Cormier is out here drumming up angles against indie pro wrestlers and cutting promos about how Vulcan Uzdemir is the Black Zillions JV light heavyweight. So this is his life without John Jones. And in round number three, Francis Ngannou and Stipe Miocic are fighting this weekend, and I am not going to make a joke about it, because I'm too terrified of both those men. All that plus, are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff? But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Davis Delaney. He writes, Guys, is it time to stop trying to make the Korean Superboy happen? Thanks, I'll hang up and Listen. So, Ben, uh, obviously, Duho Choi goes out there and suffers uh, uh, his second consecutive loss this past Saturday night at the uh, UFC Fight Night event down there in St. Louis, losing, losing to Jeremy Stevens uh, immediately on the heels of his loss to Cub Swanson in his previous fight. And at this point, he's staring down the barrel of that mandatory military service uh, back there at home. So uh, what do you think, man? Uh, Obviously, a young guy, still with a lot of potential, didn't necessarily look totally out of his depth out there against Jeremy Stevens, but Ben, is it time to stop trying to make the Korean Superboy happen?
0: I wouldn't go that far, but I would say maybe the mandatory military service is coming out at about the right time. Maybe he could use a little bit of a reset, especially because if you look at where he was in... In terms of the pecking order and the quality of competition he was facing when we got really excited about trying to make the Korean Superboy happen, it has done jumped up a lot in terms of the kind of dudes he's fighting since. I mean, you go from you know knocking out the Sam Cecilius and Tiago Tavares of the world, where it's like this pleasant surprise that somebody who looks like a twelve-year-old boy can go out there and be a vicious striker, and then the next thing you know, you're fighting Cub Swanson and Jeremy Stevens, two super experienced fighters. I mean, maybe maybe it makes sense that there's got to be a learning curve there.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. And you know what else is a lot of damage, both in this fight against Jeremy Stevens and the previous fight against Cub Swanson. Uh, Like I said, he didn't necessarily look like he was totally out of his depth in this fight against Jeremy Stevens. But then about halfway through the second round, I think it was a right hand from Jeremy. And Jeremy Stevens is out there throwing murder balls, right? Like he do. Like you wouldn't do, you wouldn't expect anything else from Lowell Heathen. But and taking some hard shots yeah, too. Yeah. Yep. But lands that right hand kind of behind Duho Choi's ear that drops him to the canvas, and then a crushing ground and pound shot—the kind of shot that when he lands it, if you're sitting at home watching it on your couch, you go, "Oh, yeah." And it was pretty much over. Um, I don't know if we got a medical update about Duho Choi after this, but he was down on the canvas uh, for at least a little while, surrounded by uh, uh, you know, ringside officials, and the way he kind of covered up, turtled up after that shot made me think some kind of injury. I don't know if we got any kind of update on that, but a couple of uh, kind of signpost losses maybe for the Korean Superboy, and a couple of losses where he took a lot of damage. So I think you're right that this would be a good time for, for do Ho Choi to go ahead and take that mandatory uh, military service, recuperate from these two losses, uh, you know, get in the gym as much as he can. I don't know what kind of job he's going to have over there. Uh, but yeah, uh, this has
0: got to be kind of a a dicey time to be entering mandatory military service in South Korea. Is it you, not?
1: Yeah. Like almost the worst time, Like we at think at least in the last like 30 years, we right? think we're worried. Maybe
0: you'd be a lot more worried if you were about to begin a period of mandatory military service in the South Korean military.
1: I mean, assuming though that nuclear war is averted, and that
0: big F, but n- okay. Not
1: everyone on the peninsula perishes in some kind of uh, massive disaster. Maybe we don't hear much from Duho Choi until he's like you know 28 years old and comes back. Maybe as a more finished product. I don't know.
0: Right, and then if he shows up back 28 years old, I assume still looking like he's 12.
1: Absolutely, still getting carded probably to get into R-rated movies.
0: Right, but then he goes out there and can fight like the you know the number 13 featherweight or something, and goes and knocks somebody out. I can see us getting excited all over again with some Korean Superboy is back kind of stuff. So it wouldn't be the worst thing to to go away, come back, and and start with a fresh fresh slate as far as where you are in the division and what we expect of you.
1: When we talked about this last week on the show, I said matching him up with Jeremy Stevens seemed like kind of a do-over. Like they didn't get that Cub Swanson win, so they wanted to match him up uh, with another kind of tough veteran to see if Duho Choi could go out there and get the win. Uh, Is it time to double... Second guess, I guess, this matchmaking philosophy by the u f c because you know you, like you said, you had a guy in the Korean Superboy who was flying high. I guess at some point he 's got to make that jump and start fighting contenders, but now, in back to back losses to Cub Swanson and Jeremy Stevens, it, it, then maybe hindsight is twenty twenty man i don 't know, but it just seems like in retrospect, you think maybe we could have uh, treated the Korean superboy with a little bit more care,
0: yeah, but how much care do you really, like, how much uh, massaging of opponents do you really want to do for a guy who's about to be gone for a few years? I think the UFC is at its best when it does make the kind of fights where you can work with it either way. And this seems like something along those lines for me. I mean, you, you take Jeremy Stevens now, and he's got you know, two straight wins, one against Gilbert Melendez, one against uh, Korean Superboy. And maybe Jeremy Stevens can start to make a little bit of noise in that division now as a result.
1: Well, I did want to ask you this question from Cardinal Richelieu, uh, a historic political figure over there in France. Nice. Emailing us from beyond the grave. Well, well, well beyond the grave.
0: We do appreciate the effort.
1: He writes, Jeremy Stevens is an exciting fighter, especially if you're allegedly outside a bar in Iowa. Hey-oh, rim shot.
0: Yeah. Re- reaching back for that
1: one yeah. a little bit. But Jesus fucking Christ, he's boring. The UFC has its fair share of empty... Uh, Vacuous, meat headed fighters, but most of them have something interesting about them. E period, G period, Mike Perry. Stevens is barely interesting enough to be goon number three in a shitty straight to DVD action movie. Oh,
0: God. The uh, cardinal just will burn a motherfucker. Speaking won't he? of throwing
1: murder balls, yeah. Cardinal got jokes. Jesus, uh, is the UFC is he the UFC fighter with the biggest difference between his in cage fighting style and personality as a human? Conversely, are there any UFC fighters who where the opposite is true? Boring fighting style, but interesting personality. Well, there's a ton of those. Well, yeah, because here's the thing: almost everybody who fights in the UFC is interesting in some way, and I would right. say. Uh, Jeremy Stevens is interesting as well. Maybe just not in, in ways that come across like in post fight interview situations. Uh, but to even wind up as a professional mixed martial arts fighter, you have to have a story. Increasingly, maybe that's not as true as it used to be, but like it used to be, if you were a UFC fighter, that was not the thing you started out wanting to do. Right. right? Yeah. Something happened along the way. Where you took a left turn and wound up, oh, now I'm I'm walking into the octagon.
0: Uh, And there were people in your life who probably wished you had not made that turn.
1: And so, like, uh, you know, there was almost always some interesting stories to go along with these people. So, like, uh, even if you're out there with the worst stall tactics in the world, you were probably a fairly interesting person. Well,
0: and I think a lot of times people get so into a fighter's personality that they... Weirdly, forget that maybe they're not that exciting to watch. I think Chael Sonnen, who we might talk about a little bit later on, we start talking about Bellator's event this weekend, is a prime example of that. Chael Sonnen, not a super exciting guy to watch fight a lot of the time, but his personality uh, makes people so excited about it that you know sometimes you'll get two rounds into a Chael Sonnen fight before you remember, oh yeah, this is kind of what it is. Randy Couture, I might even a lot of time lump in that same category. People love them, some Randy Couture to the point when they kind of overlooked some of the more just straight ahead plotting wrestler guy aspects of his fighting style.
1: Next question this week comes to us from Tyler Peebles. He writes, can we stop talking about Paige Van Zandt? Oh, can we stop talking up Paige Van Zandt anytime she loses? Uh, it seems like anytime she loses, people spend more time talking about how tough she is rather than her opponents victory. She might be a very nice person outside the cage, but she doesn't seem to be progressing as a fighter and it seems like all the attention she garners is based on her appearance. I know she's not the first person to get this kind of treatment, but it's growing a little bit old thoughts.
0: Yeah, that's a solid point there actually. I mean, I and this one I understand, you know, she broke her arm in the first round, still made it a fight. She's still out there in the third round with one arm she can't really use and trying to do the best she can with kicks. You do deserve credit for that. I think that that is something worth noting no matter who you are.
1: You and I have have clashed a little bit on the show about Paige Van Zandt because in the past you have done this very thing and talked about her toughness. What? And I have said, Wait a minute. Isn't that the minimum, like, lowest possible requirement for a professional cage fighter is to get in there and show your toughness? I would say this time, coming out of the loss to Jessica Rose Clark via unanimous decision last weekend at at the fight night show in St. Louis. It's almost the the time where it's justified, right? When you're out there doing it with a damn broken arm. Right. Well, I mean, I think that
0: it was justified in a way when she had that fight with Rose Namajunas, where especially late in that fight, the, Rose Namajunas is throwing up all kinds of submission attempts, all kinds of uh, attempts where you look like you're close to being finished. And it's, you're looking at it from the outside going, you're not going to win this fight the best you can do is basically keep taking a beating and make it to the scorecards. It's basically like Dan Hardy against George St. Pierre, where you're like, why are you coming so close to letting your arm be broken in a fight that you're going to lose anyway at a certain point? We can all see that. And I think that that goes to like a question of like heart and spirit. One of the things that we really like about this sport, is seeing people out there uh, with that kind of, never quit mentality and i think that you know there she does deserve some credit for that in this fight if you go out there and you break your your forearm in the first round but then again how she broke her forearm appears to be by going out there throwing some spinning stuff and you can see a lot of the aspects of her game were on display in this fight especially early on where you're kind of like okay what is, what are we doing here Looks like somebody learned a bunch of, like, the the flashy moves in Tekken, and they didn't learn the fundamentals of Tekken, which is back somebody into a corner and just, like, low sweep their leg or something. But, you know, there's a lot of basics that just didn't seem to be there, and instead had a lot of stuff that kind of looked cool but wasn't getting anything done. And the spinning back fist attempt that breaks her forearm seems like that's kind of right in that wheelhouse, doesn't it?
1: Well, and a lot of those jumping switch kicks, right? Right. Which is like, hey, this worked against Beck Rollins. Yeah,
0: so I'm just going to spam the hell out of him in the first round and get punched in the face every time I do it.
1: I do agree. Like I said, I think that this is one time where it's justified to talk about the toughness of Paige VanZant because she goes out there and goes all 15 minutes with a broken arm. That said, the more we see of her, the less I I understand the UFC's seeming obsession with her. Like it seems to me that like you could find a dozen Paige VanZants, some of whom uh, appear would probably appear to be octagon ready. Uh, I don't know that Paige Van Zandt, again, kind of like the Korean Superboy, it's not as though she looked totally out of her depth out there against uh, Jessica Rose Clark, but like at the same time, I don't feel like we we're hurting for promotable female fighters at this point uh, at in, in any of the divisions besides maybe featherweight. I feel like you could go out there and find a number... Of people that check the boxes that the UFC wants checked by Paige Van Zandt, who might also be a little bit more competitive in the cage. So every time she goes out there and loses one of these fights, I think all over again, like, kind of, what are we doing here? And I don't know that it's necessarily even her fault, right? No, I mean, I don't think you can really—she's
0: making the most of the opportunity she's given. And you look at, like, a lot of the stuff she's done outside the cage that she's kind of used— this platform as, like, MMA fighter to launch her into other stuff, like Dancing with the Stars. She's on one of those cooking shows. She somehow has a memoir out, which is just still baffling to me. And it kind of seems like few people have gotten as much from a mediocre fight career as Paige Van Zandt has, in part because, like, the UFC seemed to seize on her early on, like, her and somebody like Sage Northcutt and just be like, okay, this is who we want right here. Like, just, like, camera-friendly young fighters with this bright cheery positive attitude and you're right I think that there are a lot more and like more diversely promotable fighters out there of all different types that you could be focusing on if you're the UFC and that's been one of the baffling things to me about the UFC obsession with Paige Van Sant is it seems like you're missing a bunch of other good stuff out here that I think people would be really interested in if you just got behind a little more
1: You know who seems quasi-promotable to me? Who? Jessica Rose Clark. Huh, okay. Because she's out. Here's the thing. I see a professional cage fighter with a couple of tattoos on her face. Yeah. And a story leading up to this event. Didn't her house get broken into in Las Vegas? And the thieves, like... Uh, mortally wounded her cat? Like That's right. Like the cat like had kick, to be put down? the
0: cat or something. Yeah, they had to put it down.
1: Did we say a word about that on the broadcast? Like I was... I. Uh,
0: she mentioned it in the post fight interview, but I don't... I mean, and I recall reading about it online beforehand, but yeah, not... Like I saw it via like Twitter and then stories about the tweet, but yeah, it didn't seem like the broadcast really delved I, into it too
1: I think much. that's just one example where you could where you have a fighter who seems like she might be promotable in a way that is different from than than how we would promote Paige VanZant, but at the same time, might have a personal story that fans can invest in and 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 kind of like get into. Maybe not in a the next Ronda Rousey kind of way, but like I'm interested to watch Jessica Rose fi- uh, Clark fight again in the UFC now after she beats Paige VanZant.
0: You know what's a problem for me? What's that? Her nickname, Jesse Jess, is her nickname. That's not a nickname.
1: Yeah, like, but that's, your, that's
0: like what your friends in high school call you.
1: Well, I was gonna say that's one of those nicknames that's obviously true to life, right? Like that's her nickname because that's what everyone calls her.
0: Yeah, but it's like, like when somebody goes out there and it's like, like if like Douglas Doug Lima, not a nickname. Might be what people call you. Dougie based, Doug. Based on <laughs> Dougie Doug, based on like your actual name, not a nickname for our purposes here.
1: Okay. Well, let's get to they, work on okay. it.
0: Okay. You, you you heard that, everybody. Let's get to work on a nickname for Jessica Rose Clark.
1: Next question this week comes to us from Robbie K. He writes, I watched the, si- the fight's... Uh, Sunday, and I'm emailing to ask you guys what you thought of Kamaru Usman's comments of dominating a fight despite not finishing the opponent, and that he only fought at 30%, followed by a classic Dana White response. I was wondering what you think of the advantages and disadvantages of fighters letting the fans know they fought injured. As fighters often say, no one is ever 100% when they enter the cage. Please discuss. Thanks. Now, Ben, you are familiar with... Uh, My rule about fighting injured.
0: I am, but let's hear it just in your succinct fashion.
1: If you fight, don't bitch. And if you bitch, or if you're hurt... No, wait. I screwed it up. Damn it. God. See, it's deceptively
0: difficult. We'll fix
1: this in
0: post. Okay, yeah. No, we'll go back and edit this. What it is, is
1: if you're hurt, don't fight. And if you fight, don't bitch.
0: Right, but doesn't that... Or didn't it originally apply to losing and then doing the Tim Sylvia where you get out there yes. and you talk about how you're hurt.
1: Uh, that's my old adage about fighting when you're hurt. And just like, I'm going to say that Paige Van Zandt, the one time was justified that we talked about how tough she is. I feel like for with Kamara Usman, this is a, the, the right opportunity to, to shoot your mouth off about how you fought injured. Because I personally come away from this victory over Emil Meek. And I think like, okay, if you didn't know it by now, Kamara Usman is for real. Because he's out there in his last fight knocking people out and causing them to roll over in a somersault slash knockout of the year style fashion. And in this one, he goes out there and does what he has to do with an injury and beats Emil Meek by dominant three round unanimous decision. And those are the skills you need to have if you want to be successful, especially at welterweight where you got a champion right now who not only is going to try to take your head off on the feet, but is also a pretty darn good wrestler himself. So like... I came away from this performance being like, okay, the Nigerian Nightmare is a guy we need to remember. Like he, he's actually shaping up as kind of an interesting matchup for Tyron Woodley. Uh, and so the aftermath of of the Dana White response and all that, I would like to say that I was surprised, but let's just say I was disappointed.
0: Well, one thing I guess you could criticize Kamara Usman for here is not being clear enough that he was injured, and that's what the thirty percent was. Mm-hmm. Because the way he said it, he was like, that was 30%. Right. And so it kind of made it seem like, okay, what do we have to do to get the other 70? Uh, that would be nice to see. Uh, and I think afterwards, like him clarifying a little bit. And when you do clarify and you put the whole thing in context, then I think it makes Dana White's response seem worse. Because he's being like, hey, I was injured, but I still got in there. Um, because I didn't want to you know, take this opportunity away from my opponent, and I wanted to show up when I said I would show up, all that kind of stuff. Like, all stuff that the UFC will bury you for not doing.
1: Right. Nine, like, nine times out of ten, what they want is Kamaru Usman to get out there with a terrible injury and fight, right?
0: Right. But, the, I mean, what they want really is for him to get out there with a terrible injury and still be fucking awesome. Like, not fight like he's injured at all, not have to take his injury into account with his strategy or anything like that. Uh, so yeah, what they want is kind of unreasonable, but then when he goes out there and actually tells you like, Hey, like it seems like the only reason he's telling you that is because he realizes maybe it was not a super awesome or fun to watch fight. And so he wants to give you some explanation for that. Uh, you can, you know, take issue with exactly how he chooses to explain it, but it seems like if you're Dana White afterwards, and especially when on this, this is on the same Like Media Scrum, where he makes the comments about, you know what fighters should do is just build themselves into stars. Fighters should just become stars.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. Case closed. (laughs)
0: Right. And then you have an instance where you have this guy who goes out there on your show, he, he... has this dominant win over somebody. He calls out an opponent and he's good on the mic afterwards. When he goes and starts calling people out, you're like, yeah, he's selling that matchup with, with Colby Covington. And it's believable.
1: Yeah. When he says, no one wants to fight me. It's believable. That's right.
0: You know, and then he, and he starts in there like just super intense, like staring right in the camera and yelling and stuff. And you're just like, okay, yeah, he is giving you a lot to work with. And then for Dana White to afterwards to show up and to argue simultaneously, fighters should just make themselves into stars. And eh I thought that kind of sucked. I wasn't impressed. I don't know about making those fights. I don't really think either. One of those guys are big stars right now. I don't know. What are you doing? You're, this is, you're supposed to be promoting these people. Right. This is They are giving it to you, man. They're handing it to you on a silver platter, and you're just like tossing it off to the ground because you're not interested. I, right. I don't understand that.
1: In defense of Kamaru Usman, I would say, man, it's awfully hard to be both succinct and clear in those post-fight interviews when you just sure. fought somebody for 15 minutes. So like, yeah, he could have uh potentially expressed himself a little more clearly in that interview. But I think we've seen time and time again, it's it's hard to do that. Secondly, I would say, if this was one of the UFC's golden geese, if like Chuck Liddell had gone out there and wrestled his way to victory like this, Dana White would be the first damn guy at the press conference saying, well, the kid was injured, he was out there at 30%, gotta hand it to him for even showing up uh, you know, toughest guy in the world anytime, any place, anywhere. So like to see him kind of try to bury a guy who goes out there and fights injured is both jarring and like probably we're gonna have to send twenty bucks to Luke Thomas for this, but like borderline promotional malpractice. Yeah. What are we doing here? Oh, the other thing that I wanted to say, can't avoid or not mention the irony that Kamara Usman goes out and get this gets this win in this fashion moments after we did the Matt Hughes retrospective return, walk to the cage, slaps back it's, and sits down with Dana White. And then Kamar Usman goes out there and turns in a Matt Hughes, a quintessentially Matt Hughes-esque yeah. performance.
0: Picking up a guy and dropping him like a big bag of chicken feed.
1: And suddenly, somehow that's not good enough.
0: No, we don't like that anymore. Next
1: question comes to us from Colin T. He writes, Darren Elkins did his thing again after getting uh, the shit kicked out of him for five minutes or so. The man with MMA's worst tattoo hit a well-timed takedown off a lazy leg kick, took Michael Johnson's back in a scramble, and tapped him out. The man is quietly on a six-fight winning streak, and in my opinion, he's earned a top-five fight. Who do you fellas like to see him fight next? Llamas, Emmett, Swanson... Uh, what do you do with Michael Johnson? That's three finishes in a row, and he's one and five in his last six. Uh, the man had moments here against Gaethje and Habib, but just doesn't seem to be able to put it together.
0: Yeah, you know what? Talking about this as uh, Darren Elkins going out there and doing his thing again. You can just as easily say Michael Johnson went out there and did his thing again. Because he goes out there, he's looking sharp early on, landing some good strikes on the feet in the first round. Then, you know, he gets taken down and kind of seems to get that look on his face at times in those fights where, like, he's down there, he's stuck on the bottom, and this kind of like not quite hopeless but like you can see him kind of mentally crumbling a little bit he and then he just tries to to roll up gets his back taken and does not treat the choke with the sense of urgency about defending it that he needs to when it goes on and then the next thing you know he has to tap out and like that seems like a quintessentially michael johnson performance just as much as it's quintessentially a darren elkins performance to get beat up a bunch and then have to come from behind later on
1: yeah, now back-to-back wins over Dennis Bermudez and Michael Johnson for Darren Elkins, which obviously uh, is a level of competition that cannot be sneezed at. Uh, so, yeah, man, I would think that that he would have earned a shot at featherweight against against someone we've heard of, you know what I mean? Like a, I don't know if they have fought before, but like a Jeremy Stevens type yep, who just got a win, before. got over this, or, or, you know, someone up there, Ricardo Lamas, Josh Hammett, the guys uh, that the emailer mentioned. Uh, of course, you got T-City flown around up there around uh, title contention. But Darren Elkins is now one of those people that maybe we didn't think was going to be a factor, but six fights in a row, six wins. Uh, you kind of got to make the guy a factor.
0: Yeah. At and this he, point. even though he got beat up in a lot of those fights, which man, this, this is a hard way to go through a career the way Darren Elkins is doing it. I
1: agree. Let's, let's do this one before we move on to, to the second half of the show, just because there's been some more uh, breaking news here, but uh, from Eric Murphy, Bellator done fucked up, properly fucked up. Uh, they bought a Goldie and lost a Smith. All due respect, <laughs> uh, but one is better at his job. Goldie is great at yelling, whether things are over or not, and Smith is better at, well, everything else. As a huge fan of Jimmy Smith, I'm excited to have a fresh voice in the UFC booth. Uh, we will never get Anik and stand back, and that breaks my heart every time Anik broadcasts uh, with his, his Philly of the Week. Uh, back, but this feels like the broadcast team just got a breath of minty fresh air. Who would you like to see him paired with for the first event? So, two things have happened, Ben. First, Jimmy Smith does indeed sign with the UFC, uh, and joins the broadcast team over there. And today, before we started recording the show, it was announced that, uh, not only is Big John McCarthy gonna enter the Bellator booth in place of Jimmy Smith, gonna s- split time with Chael Sonnen, but also we've added Jay Glazer, surprising to the Bellator. Uh, family family we think in in a uh, sort of a desk host slash analyst role we'll have to see exactly how that works but bellator's out here making moves at least in the broadcast department
0: yeah i'm surprised at this one i also it seems like somehow the powers that be in this sport have decided there's only like five dudes who can talk about mma
1: and they all look like members of the same family (laughs) right (laughs) jay glazer joe rogan jimmy smith dana white
0: Hardly a full head of hair to go around between a lot of them, uh, all similar builds and uh, similar style really, and I—it's just like we're just gonna trade these guys all back and forth. It feels like the Sneeches right now. <laughs> like I'm not sure who is the star belly and who is not anymore. It's all mixed up. What's going on?
1: Well, we talked about this before we started recording, but it's odd that Jay Glazer, who reports say still works for Fox Sports, which is obviously the UFC's broadcast partner, uh, could double dip in a way and go over there and, and work for Bellator. And I brought up the point before we started recording. Maybe this is more of a uh, ask for forgiveness than ask for permission type situation. But uh, yeah, who? I hope Jay Glazer asked somebody if this was OK before he inked the deal to go over there and sign to Bellator. Or maybe I don't. Maybe I hope he just went and did it. <laughs> if he didn't, I feel like we might
0: hear something about it from Dana White.
1: And possibly, anecdotal evidence suggests that maybe the UFC would not be cool with that.
0: Doesn't it? Does though seem like uh, if you're an analyzing these trades, the UFC came out on the better end?
1: Yeah, I, I think so. Jimmy Smith obviously has been doing it a long time and is is a professional guy, a guy that's well respected in the industry, and and again is going to bring a different voice to that UFC broadcast booth that. Uh, I feel like that's always welcome, and and again, not just not a guy who's a, either an active or former fighter, which I think is is a good move for the UFC. But I also want to just say a few things about John McCarthy here in the moments we have left. Uh, what do you make of this signing? It seems like I have no idea how John McCarthy is going to perform in the booth. Uh, but aside from the obvious conflict of interest troubles, which I I have you know faith that john mccarthy will, will handle himself as a professional uh in that regard but like i'm kind of interested to see like what john mccarthy can do especially from the standpoint that he's going to bring a bunch of different experience than we usually get from a color commentator to that bellator booth
0: yeah well and i have a lot of reason to be confident that he'll be good at it because i don't know i mean i've talked to him a bunch of times over the years i don't know if you ever interviewed him but i've done many interviews with him over the years and he is a really well-spoken guy uh and just has like that authoritative kind of voice and presentation about him and has a lot of awesome stories from the old days of mma that he can sit there and tell and just is a guy who is so knowledgeable and passionate about the sport and to hear him tell it Feels like physically less and less capable to keep getting in there and refereeing. So it seems to me like this is a great move for him and all his reasoning behind it makes good sense to me. I think that is a good pickup for them.
1: That's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, a comment, a concern that you want to air to the CoMain event podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. While you're there, you can sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletter. That comes out every Friday morning to catch you up on the news and notes that we miss on all the days that we're not recording the podcast. Clearly, stuff always happens. News always breaks. The newsletter itself is short and informative. We would love to tell you it's funny. If you don't like it, it's really easy to unsubscribe. Heck, while you're over there, sign up for our Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash co-main event. Is that right?
0: Sounds super natural coming out of
1: your mouth. Did I get it right? Yeah, you nailed it. Okay. Uh, As for right now, though, we are going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Well, Ben, Bellator 192 got its card subject to change moment this past week as the main event fight, the welterweight championship bout between Rory McDonald and Douglas Lima, was demoted to the co-main event. And the opening round fight of the new Bellator Heavyweight Grand Prix Tournament featuring Chael Sonnen versus Quentin Rampage Jackson got elevated to the headlining spot, Uh, I guess kind of a thumb in the nose of convention because you think that the championship fight would be the headliner, but um, I think from a star power and promotional standpoint, it's sort of understandable that that would be the case. I guess to open up this round about McDonald's fight with Lima, I'll just ask you, are you pro or con uh, Bellator making Chael versus Rampage the main event of this of this show? I'm con,
0: because I don't understand. Like The only way I can understand that you would want to have your title fight be the co-main event, and then this opening round tournament bout be your main event, is if you're just looking for an excuse to make them both five-rounders. But my understanding is that the main event still a three-rounder.
1: Ha ha ha! Man, you think Chael and Rampage are going to go five rounds?
0: <laughs> <laughs> sure, I mean, I don't even want to know what the contract negotiations would look like. Well, they already
1: have that bet, $10,000 every takedown.
0: Right? You think Rampage
1: wants to do that over 25 minutes?
0: I don't think Rampage wants to do anything for 25 minutes. Uh, But other than that, I don't see why you would do this, because it seems like you're just inviting all the wrong kinds of scorn. Because already, you've got this tournament, which everybody can look at and be like, okay, this is fun as long as we can agree to not take it super seriously. Because for one thing, it's a heavyweight tournament where half the dudes in it aren't really heavyweights. For another thing, it doesn't matter who out of that group wins it, it's not like somebody's going to call them the best heavyweight in the world as a result of winning it. It's just a fun, weird thing that you're doing for attention, basically, and it will work on that level. It will work. We will pay attention to that because we like fun and weird in this sport, and this kind of checks a lot of boxes for us in that regard. But when you do this, it seems like you're asking us for a level of seriousness that we are not willing to give. And you're doing it at the expense of like a really legit title fight that you have there. I don't see the point of it because it does feel like then you're kind of disrespecting this welterweight title fight, which, you know, if you are looking for an opportunity to look at one or two of your divisions and say, here's where we might have the best guy in the world and not the UFC welterweight is one of your opportunities to at least kind of try to make that case. And if you're like pushing this down the card, so that you can give a little more shine to this other aged fight between uh, a couple of guys in the heavyweight tournament who aren't even heavyweights. I don't know why you're doing it. I don't know what you think the upside is going to be.
1: Yeah, I mean, there were reports of sluggish ticket sales out there in California. I believe this thing's going. Is this thing going down at the Forum in yeah. Inglewood? Yeah. Uh, the, the... That the you know with Lima and McDonald at the top of the card they hadn't been doing well with ticket sales. So So you switch
0: bout order and now I'm gonna buy a ticket.
1: Yeah, well I don't know. Maybe it was just they they were gonna make a bunch of posters with Rampage and Chael on them and hang them up around LA. Couldn't you do that anyway? I guess you could. I guess you could. I'm saying from a promotional standpoint, I kind of understand it, but from like from a uh, and it it just seems like another step in the down the path that we've been walking for the last year year and a half in this sport where uh, the promotional the promotable entity is going to take precedence over like the tradition or like titles or, or, you know, the, the, the physical uh, signs of greatness in the sport, which again, from a money standpoint, I understand. Uh, I'm just going to say from like a fan sitting at home, watching this thing standpoint, I felt like the real strength of having Lima versus McDonald as the main event was going to be that. I think you run the chance that, Chael versus Rampage is not a, an exciting fight to watch. Yes. We've seen that, you know, in, in the most recent Bellator Senior Circuit fights. Uh, they haven't necessarily left us with a good taste in our mouths, been like more depressed than anything else. So I think if, if you were going to do it the way that you had it set up before, you have at least the opportunity that maybe we get down and kind of uh, uh, start asking ourselves the tough questions when we see Rampage and Chael go out there. As a couple of 40 year old men and do the damn thing. But then you had this opportunity that maybe uh, Lima and McDonald would pick us up at the end of the card, which for your main event, anymore that we're doing 375,000 MMA shows a year, I feel like it's really important that the main event lifts you up at the end of it.
0: Well, or the. Because I saw something where today where Scott Coker was saying how he, that was a decision on the network's part. Uh, like maybe the thinking is uh, you. If you throw that kind of depressing Rampage, Chael and co event in there, maybe some people change the channel and they don't come back for McDonald Lima. Okay. And if you have these names that people know and they're going to, okay, I'm going to stick around to the end until I finally see this fight between these dudes I know and I recognize from years ago, then you'll kind of force them to sit through more of the card. And I, I mean, if that's your thinking, like, hey, maybe we will get more attention on Rory McDonald and Douglas Lima by having them fight before people get what they feel like they came for and Sonnen and uh, Rampage, then OK. But man, it does it does feel weird.
1: There's probably going to be an awful lot of channel surfing going on anyway, right? Because you have the, the opportunity or at least the the possibility that this thing is going to run. Op, directly opposite of UFC 220, So uh depending on how the night plays out, that that could be an interesting storyline to track. Uh let's talk about the actual fight for a few minutes here. Obviously Rory McDonald, one of the big free agent signings to Bellator, away from the UFC, uh, and arguably uh the the most uh athletically interesting signing, a guy who's still, we think, very much in his prime, a guy who we know would continue to be a factor at 170 pounds had he stayed in the UFC. Comes over to Bellator and gets a win over Paul Daly in his promotional debut back in May of last year, Uh, a fairly uh, pedestrian submission over Paul Daly, second round submission, made it look pretty easy out there. And now he's going to go straight to the welterweight title shot against Douglas Lima, who is one of these guys who's kind of a lifer in Bellator. He's been there since 2011. One of these guys that we regard as a very good welterweight fighter, perhaps among the best in the world. But just given the fact that he has never really gotten the opportunity to compete uh, in the UFC against the elite cream of the crop, we don't yet know exactly how good he is. But if you're Bellator, this is kind of one of the most competitive, sort of like uh, relevant matchups you can make.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And like looks like on paper going to be an exciting fight uh, when you think about the styles that both these guys bring. Uh, Whoever comes out of it is going to be somebody – Do you're going to legitimately want to pay attention just in the grand scheme of, like, MMA welterweights across the board? Like, there's a lot going on for this fight, and one of the few fights where I feel like Bellator can actually put on and be like, okay, here's one that fans will care about, people know enough of the names, they're going to want to tune into it, and it's going to be a good, meaningful fight. It's not just guys who used to be good or guys who used to be famous, and that's why you're tuning in, like, Bellator does not have a whole lot of these, which I guess is one of the reasons that surprises me that you're not trying to put a little bit more of a spotlight on it because it's not like you can do this uh, once a month if you're Bellator.
1: Well, we already know what uh, what Rory McDonald is going to do if he wins. He's going to go, we think, well, he'll actually probably ask for a slot in the heavyweight tournament. I think um, he's already
0: had that one shot down, but yeah.
1: But he has already declared his intentions to win the welterweight title and then go straight after Rafael Carvalho the Bellator middleweight champion uh so the, I think that would would kind of force people to sit up and take note of both Rory McDonald and Bellator and maybe some of the more relevant younger fighters that Bellator has uh going on out here uh I don't know how much you have thought about how this one will actually play out I don't know if there are odds being proffered anywhere uh but I think obviously no disrespect to Douglas Lima who I just got finished through saying that is, is a terrific fighter from a promotional standpoint. I have to assume that Bellator would like Rory McDonald to have the gold.
0: Yeah. There's a lot you can do with Rory McDonald. And I think, you know, if you make me pick somebody, I'm going to pick Rory McDonald in this fight. Uh, and, I wonder how much of it is driven by me really believing he'll win, and how much of it is, man, it sure would be fun to watch somebody win the welterweight title and then go picking on somebody up at middleweight, especially because there's a part of me that would love to see Roy McDonald and Sweet and Sassy Gagard and Musasi get down at some point. Come on, you're you're DVR on that one.
1: Well, yeah, no, yeah, in front and probably watching it live also. I would think like one of the few opportunities for Bellator to be real appointment viewing. Uh, in terms of top-level mixed martial arts competition that's not, you know, Frank Mir against Fedor Milianenko.
0: Yeah, Now you're putting the kids to bed for that one.
1: <laughs> uh, all right, you want to do uh, Are You Fucking Kidding Me? and then we'll move on? Sure. Ben, what's your Are You Fucking Kidding Me this week?
0: Well, I don't know if you saw this, Chad. We had a story up on uh, MMA Junkie today about it, and I believe there's a report in Forbes about it, but UL Romero is suing the supplement maker that is responsible, he says, for his... Uh, failed drug tests in 2016, and you know, good sue those drug makers that in these supplements where they just put in whatever they want that's not on the bottle, and these contaminated substances that are causing all this trouble. I'm all for suing those people. It's crazy that industry as is as unregulated as it is. However, Jed, did you happen to uh, happen to catch the name of the supplement that he was using?
1: Ah, uh, no, I did not. Well, what is it? Shred RX. Huh. That sounds on the level. Yeah. You were enrolled in
0: the USADA program, a stringent anti-doping program, a professional athlete, and you were taking a supplement called Shred RX. The first word there is shred, I believe, which seems to have the connotation that it's just going to leave you feeling all ripped and cut the, the pounds right off of you. And then there's the RX, which is kind of just the generic symbol for drugs. These are drugs. Are you fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? This is So this is how this happens. I used to feel a little bit bad for the people who were like, oh, I was using, like, I just bought creatine or I bought the protein powder or whatever. And uh, lo and behold, there's steroids in it. No, man, you're buying Shred Rx and it turns out that there are drugs in it? Man, there better be drugs in Shred Rx. Why would people buy it if there's not drugs in there?
1: Are you fucking kidding me? fucking kidding me? You know what Shred Rx does? What? It makes you look like Yoel Romero. <laughs> okay, good point. Ben, you know that we have uh, had some fun over the years on this show with Vitor Belfort. That is true. You could argue that he deserved it.
0: One might argue that.
1: I think you could also argue that the UFC should pay the man his damn money.
0: I would, in fact, argue that as well.
1: From this past weekend when he was scheduled uh, to have what was going to be his retirement fight, he said. I think we all cocked one eyebrow at that notion. But I think realistically you could say Vitor Belfort probably believed that at the moment that he said it maybe believed throughout his training camp preparing for Uriah Hall, that this was going to be his last time out there. As it turns out UFC fight night in St. Louis Uriah Hall cannot make weight. Uh, And the UFC, which just kind of seems to pick and choose how it handles these types of situations says it's not going to pay Vitor his money. Here's the quote from Dana White from the MMA fighting story by uh mark mark raymondi dana white says the thing went down we worked quickly and we got vitor a fight he could have fought tonight he chose not to we got him a fight in boston he chose not to fight in boston he chose not to fight then i don't know uh who the opponents were but they told him we got him two fights you know what this is probably a historic moment in the co-main event podcast I'm going to say, are you fucking kidding me? I'm siding with Vidor Belfort here. What? Guy is trying to have his retirement fight, loses his opponent. I damn well understand why he doesn't want to take a short notice replacement fight in the what he considers to be maybe his last bout. Are you fucking kidding me? Pay the man his money. You're
0: fucking kidding me?
1: That's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two.
0: Are you like me that a party keeps forgetting that the UFC light heavyweight title is also going up for grabs at UFC
1: 220? It's easy for it to be, and I say this word knowingly, overshadowed, is it not?
0: It is. I mean, part of that is obviously that there's a great heavyweight title fight on this card. The other part of it is that feels like you don't really know what to make of the UFC light heavyweight title right now. Daniel Cormier, he's the champion. That's, that is a statement of fact, easily verifiable by looking at Wikipedia, got the little C next to his name, case closed. However, Daniel Cormier versus Volkan Ozdemir right now does not feel to me like the fight to determine the best light heavyweight in the world or in the UFC because the specter of John Jones looms over all of it, does it not?
1: Yeah, it really does. Um, I saw someone send out a tweet earlier today. I think it was John Anik. I don't know if he was retweeting someone else or if this was his original thought. But obviously, uh, one of Daniel Cormier's broadcast partners, uh, making the point that Cormier has been a real rock, promotional rock for the UFC uh, these last few years, despite the fact that he himself is not the biggest draw in the company, obviously. But I do think you kind of got to give DC his due for everything that he has done During the last few years of his career, which which what what we assume is the twilight of his career, I think he knows that he can't go on doing this forever. But just in terms of uh, with very few exceptions, always showing up for his fights. Being a broadcaster, doing all the media that he's supposed to do. Um, and frankly, being pretty goddamn good at all of it, despite the fact that he doesn't necessarily get the credit that he might deserve as like a good interview in this sport or like a guy who will promote your fight. Uh, like I think we gotta pause a moment to give Daniel Cormier the credit he deserves for being that guy for the UFC as John Jones trundles through, uh, you know, one personal crisis to another. But your point is still well made. The division without John Jones, as I feel like we've kind of said over and over again on this show, as all of this, uh, personal stuff has been happening with the, with the guy that we still regard as the rightful champion, like the, the division itself seems listless. It seems shallow. It seems somewhat lackluster. Um, uh, and it's kind of Daniel Cormier's misfortune to be the guy who happens to be at the top of the division right now, both because people look at him and they they don't feel like he's the rightful champion and because there's just not a lot of other stuff for him to work with at 205 pounds. As he made the point this week on the MMA Fortnite, cutting the little promo on Volkan Uzdemir, talking about how the Black Zillions varsity light heavyweight was Anthony Johnson. He couldn't get it done. So now they've promoted the junior varsity light heavyweight uh, which is a, just a classically Cormier-style uh, interview to cut, and also, like, both entertaining and has the ring of truth, so firing on a bunch of different levels there.
0: Yeah, we'll have to wait to see exactly how much truth it has ringing to it, but, yeah, it is Cormier kind of living his gimmick out there as uh, Coach Daniel Cormier walking to the cage with a, with a clipboard and a whistle around his neck and a towel tucked into his sweatshirt, basically. So, yeah, I, I mean, I'm totally into all everything he's doing there. At the same time... You know, there are a lot worse matchups you could have for yourself to work with than – especially right now with what's available than Daniel Cormier versus Volkan Ozdemir because we got kind of excited about Volkan Ostemier before. He's got the whole no-time thing. He's knocking people out real quick. You know, it seems like you are offering the same kind of style matchup that we've seen Daniel Cormier in already. I think what what hurts it more than anything is it just feels like we don't know what to make of the title at this point because it's it's not like – people can really tell themselves well the only reason john jones beat daniel cormier is because he was juiced up like i just don't feel like there's enough people out there who legitimately honestly believe that even the people who aren't buying you know john jones's explanation or jeff novitsky's explanation you know the ufc kind of trying hard to make the case that john jones did not knowingly cheat you know even if whether regardless of whether you're buying that or not it's hard i think for a lot of people to sit there and go well if not for that, Daniel Cormier beats John Jones.
1: Yeah, and you talk about the Vulcan-Ozdemir uh, junior varsity quote, and like I said, it has the ring of truth, but it also has the ring of the MMA gods looking up from whatever stone tablet they happen to be carving out their most recent missive and saying oh really <laughs> oh really daniel cormier
0: but see then you get into a situation where you're saying the best reason to think the that this guy might win is because of how obvious it seems that he won't win
1: it's mixed martial arts man
0: i know what it is i've been here before
1: the thing is vulcan ozdemir still hits really hard okay right? he doesn't have the level of competition that daniel cormier has in his opponents obviously his last three wins are ovin saint prue misha Sirkunov, and jimmy manua the last two uh really fast and furious first round knockouts. Uh, we, is it a case where we just don't know how good Volkan Uzdemir is? We assume Daniel Cormier will win because uh, he's been outstanding. If you think about his run in strike force immediately preceding his run in the UFC, without Jon Jones, we might be talking about Daniel Cormier as maybe the all-time great light heavyweight. Uh, meanwhile, Vulcan Ozdemir has three fights in a thing called VKN Valhalla Battle of the Vikings.
0: Oh, I bet that was over there
1: in Denmark. Man. Uh, looks like a one night tournament, March 9th, 2013, which I am frankly pissed that I missed. Yeah. You want to go to a one night MMA tournament in Denmark called Battle of the Vikings?
0: Goddamn right. I do. Yes, please. Yeah. Uh, probably won't remember a single thing of it afterwards, but I'll be totally into It
1: It looks like he made pretty short work of the competition over there too. Uh knockout in 15 seconds, a knockout in 45 seconds, and then in the finals, a TKO victory, round one, time, not available.
0: You're saying that uh, he had no time for he the competition?
1: no time there in the finals. Uh,
0: do you think that if this were on its own fight card, we'd be paying more attention to it? Do you think that a lot of it is just that everybody is so jacked about Stipe and Francis Ngannou that that's a part of why we're not paying attention?
1: Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you could, you could have it main event, a pay-per-view, but, and I think then there would be uh, a lot of, of attention paid to it. I don't think that much of that attention would be positive, thinking that the UFC is going to try to charge you 60 bucks to watch Daniel Cormier fight Volkan Uzdemir. But, like, I see what you're saying. Like, Francis Ngannou versus Steve Amiotic seems like a heavyweight matchup that just doesn't come around all that often uh, in the super unstable and and like constantly problematic two hundred and sixty five pound division, so we're all stoked to see uh, this unstoppable force in Francis Ngannou go out there and see if see how he he stacks up against the the best heavyweight fighter in the world at the moment and Steve Miocic, and all that's all well and good. Uh, but I think the point still remains: uh, Daniel Cormier doesn't have a lot to work with at light heavyweight. The Ozdemir the fight is, is maybe interesting from a technical standpoint, but it's not going to do a lot to move the needle. And let's just say, let's say the MMA gods play havoc here, Ben. Uh, what happens is Volkan Ozdemir wins this fight. Then what do you do with the light heavyweight division?
0: Then uh, Volkan Ozdemir gets on the mic and tells John Jones to get his shit together.
1: Does he say he's got no time to wait for him? Because that seems to kind of write itself.
0: I mean, that might be one of those instances where we think you're going to zig. So you need to zag. You know what I mean? You don't want to play. You don't want to overplay the no time gimmick is what I'm saying.
1: Uh, man, I, you know, I, I spent a while talking about how we need to give Daniel Cormier his credit. But but like Daniel Cormier in a post John Jones world, what is really even out there for him? I, I feel like he knows that that uh, time runs short. I think he said a couple of things like maybe this will be his last year. Uh, as an active fighter clearly he's a guy who can go into broadcasting we we have every reason to believe he'd be a tremendous coach if that's the way he wants to go we already got the look down uh, like what is even out there for Daniel Cormier to do besides I guess he he referenced having a next man up kind of attitude that whoever is is the next number one contender at light heavyweight he will fight him but but none of that seems particularly juicy here for a guy that every time we talk about it I keep circling back to the idea that he deserves better
0: I think uh there's a rematch with Alexander Gufsson, and then there is uh being the coach, like manager of a pro wrestling tag team, and then that's it.
1: He has been working that pretty hard, trying yeah. to get into it with the Young Bucks out there on, on, on Twitter. And that's not a metaphor. The actual literal pro wrestling <laughs> tag team, the Young Bucks, who are a, an independent professional wrestling tag team. Part of the Bullet Club, the highly regarded Bullet Club. Uh, I'll
0: take your word for they it. They seem
1: to wrestle in a style Daniel Cormier doesn't appreciate. Huh. Oh. And uh, they've it's been chipping at each other on the social medias.
0: Okay. Well, there you go. There's your answer.
1: You're saying, I think someone brought this up on Twitter, maybe he teams with Josh Barnett. And, oh, okay. Uh, we get ourselves into a uh, a Texas tag team type situation.
0: Yeah, what's King Mo doing?
1: I assume, walk into the ring with a crown with, with Josh Barnett and, uh, and Daniel Cormier.
0: That's right, and Cormier is like holding the clipboard that he glances at every once in a while, whispers something cryptic in somebody's ear, and then off they go to do some nefarious deeds.
1: Like I said, it writes itself. Anyway, that's going to do it for round number two. We will be right back with round number three. Well, Ben, here we are, just a few days away from actually seeing Francis Ngannou and Stipe Miocic fight for the UFC heavyweight title in the main event of UFC 220. For Francis Ngannou, it feels like it's happening at lightning-fast speed. He just knocked out Alistair Overeem at UFC 218 on December 2nd, so uh, a little more than a month ago. Now he's going to fast-forward himself into this heavyweight title fight. For Steve Miocic, we haven't seen him in action since May of last year, when he defeated Junior Dos Santos uh, at UFC 211, and since has, has been a little bit inactive. And some some reports out that he had to renegotiate his con- contract with the UFC. He's going to step in there with uh, Francis Ngannou this weekend. What's your take on this fight, Ben? It's the uh, it's sort of the uh, the fast rising heavyweight prospect against a guy who we think of as more of a finished product. Will Francis Ngannou uh, be able to blitz Steve Miocic the same way he has everyone else, or will it turn out that his depth of skill uh, is is more present than he's been able to show in the octagon, or will Steve Miocic just be too wily, uh, too technical on the feet, and, and you know too much uh, diversity in his skill set for Francis Ngannou to handle?
0: You're asking me what's going to happen in a UFC heavyweight title fight?
1: You think it's an unfair question?
0: It's an impossible question, Chad, and you damn well know that.
1: Well, every question that I could ask you about a UFC heavyweight title fight would be impossible, including, is this going to (laughs) happen?
0: You know what? I'm encouraged that they seem to be doing the media rounds today at this point. So there you go. That's a good sign. And with the heavyweights, at least, you don't have to worry as much about, like, a bad weight cut ruining at the last minute. Uh, Right now, I think we've got reason to be very confident that this fight is actually going to happen and honestly, it's really difficult for me to remember the last time I was this excited for a heavyweight title fight.
1: Can you? No, I mean it's right up there with the all-time great matchups uh in the UFC for sure, right? I don't even know what you would compare it to other than uh Junior dos Santos against Cain Velasquez.
0: I was going to say like the energy, like the excitement level feels like Cain Velasquez Brock Lesnar.
1: Yeah, that's a good one too. Uh I was going to I said JDS Cain because it was the first fight on network television like they did they did that one fight special for it Uh, suffice to say Miocic versus Ngannou is right up there with with everything that Lesnar did with uh, Velasquez versus Dos Santos Uh, I'm going to be cautiously optimistic and wait to see how the fight plays out but I think it has uh, all time great potential like if you get a hell of a slugfest out of this thing uh, it probably has a lock for greatest UFC heavyweight title fight of all time
0: see that's what's hard for me to imagine is a slugfest a back and forth slugfest because it seems to me Regardless, what we're looking at is either Francis Ngannou landed one big shot early on and knocking Stipe Miocic out. Stipe could also land that shot, knocking Ngannou out. Or, uh, like, if Stipe goes out there, takes Ngannou down, and beats him up on the mat, and we realize, okay, he does not have the all-around game to deal with somebody like Stipe. And that just kind of, like, slowly plays out those seem like the three most plausible possibilities to me. What does not seem possible is that they're both going to stand there, land bombs back and forth, and be able to take that.
1: Yeah, and it's a super interesting matchup, too, just because uh, obviously we we haven't seen a ton from Francis Ngannou in his recent fights just because he's knocking everybody out so fast, uh, whereas we've seen a lot from Steve Miocic, and almost all of it has been really, really good. Uh, we expect... Stipe Miocic to maybe be the the better rounded fighter just because he has that wrestling background, uh, coupled with some Golden Gloves experience in boxing. Mm-hmm. At the same time, Engano has been pretty good in the wrestling department from what we've seen. He had some trouble against Luis Henrique in his UFC debut. Came in immediately after that and fought Curtis Blades, who obviously is a guy who hasn't made a huge huge splash in the UFC heavyweight division, but has high high level wrestling credentials for that for that weight class. Uh and Engano just handled him. Blades couldn't do anything, couldn't take him down. Uh Engano controlled the distance and uh ultimately stopped Curtis Blades' uh doctor stoppage at the end of the second round. Uh so how will it play out? I, I have no idea, man. Like uh uh Steven Miocic also has a tendency to get hit, despite the fact that he is a uh, a super good good boxer, and we've seen that when Engano gets or when Engano gets his mitts on people, they do not remain vertical. So the whole thing is uh, it's it's a heavyweight title fight worth uh, salivating over, for being really excited over, as far as I'm concerned. Well, and and that like, in and of itself is kind of a novelty. It is. And either
0: way, it seems like you can't screw this up. Like, if you're the UFC, you've oh, got to come out.
1: Oh, God. <laughs>
0: you've got to come out on Sunday with something awesome as a result. Because either Francis Ngannou goes out there and becomes your new heavyweight champion, and he's got, like, this real star quality about him that is really started to grow in like the last year or so where people have really taken notice of him. He's got that knockout power. Uh, you know, he's a, he's a flashy guy. He has a good personal story. Uh, people are just going to gravitate to a guy like that and get really excited about him. And if it doesn't go that way, if Stipe beats him, then Stipe has broken the record, has set the new record for consecutive UFC heavyweight title defenses, Uh which the fact that that number would be three, is, that should tell us something about that division in the first place, but still would set like a really, like break a really stubborn record in the UFC and on paper then becomes the most dominant UFC heavyweight champ we've ever had. Right? That like it seems like Stipe not going to give you a whole lot in the charisma personality department, but if he has that, then it becomes like exciting to see, like, okay, how far can he take it?
1: Yeah, uh, which is kind of a shame for Miocic because I always felt like he is kind of a, could be a promotable guy. Uh, he, you know, he, he obviously is an active firefighter. Um, it seemed like he landed a Modelo ad yeah. recently, uh, where he and his firefighter buddies go out and have a beer, which I think is, you know, when you talk about WME, oh, it's quite a plot.
0: Are there any twists? Any well, twist to this
1: one? But I mean, it's a commercial, man. How many plot twists do you want? Okay. You, do they you, enjoy the beers? I, I believe they toast them up ah, at, at the uh, okay. what you might call the denouement of the of the commercial. <laughs> uh, but I mean, when WME IMG takes over the company, the expectation is okay. You guys will be able to land some some high profile stuff, and you'll be able to tell stories about this guy, these guys, uh men and women. And I realize that like this is not all that original, but Steve Miocic working hard all day as a firefighter and then going out to hoist a couple with his firefighter buddies seems like a pretty good ad. Oh,
0: that's relatable to me. Like if you can yeah.
1: uh if you can pull that off. At the same time, it kind of feels like the UFC wants Francis Ngano to win this fight because it thinks that it can prop him up as sort of a Mike Tyson style character in MMA, just like the giant heavy punching, heavyweight who goes out there and knocks everybody out in the first round, which I don't know that you can blame them if that's what they want to do. Uh, I also think that if there's anybody in this division that can give in trouble, it's probably Miocic, just because of all this, the stuff that we talked about earlier. So, uh, yeah, you can't, you can't screw this up. I guess is is my ultimate point. As you, as you said, like either way you come out of this with, uh, the heavyweight division, uh, I'm not going to say sitting pretty because we never have that at 265 pounds, but, in not terrible shape
0: i will say uh, about the beer commercial uh did anyone from the mill meet them down there maybe to enjoy a yeah dan Severn. Dan, Severn, dan and dan don Severn, and don fry
1: both show up in their uh local union 144 iron workers jackets yeah okay and they all hoist
0: beers and then like and then the coal miners see them having such a good time yeah they come yeah over. brian
1: barberina shows up straight from the coal mine
0: yeah tj grant comes over there wants to know if he can buy a round of Medellos.
1: yeah that's that's, that's how it works that's that's Great. storytelling. I
0: can just picture it all right now.
1: Uh, what else about the, the this incredibly exciting UFC heavyweight title fight? Um, you know, I know you got to do your picks over there at, at the MMA junkie.
0: Yeah. As of this moment, haven't turned them in yet.
1: Well, are you going to tip your hand? Nobody's listening to this.
0: OK, uh,
1: I think I'm picking
0: N- Ngannou here just because I, I think the potential for him just lay one hellacious punch on Stipe Miocic out of nowhere and lift him off his goddamn feet is always going to be there. And it's tough for me to imagine Stipe just taking him down over and over and over again uh, for the time it would take to finish him there.
1: Yeah. I kind of agree with you. Uh, I don't know how much success in the wrestling department Miocic will be able to have maybe a lot. And if he does, that could be uh, the thing that, that swings this fight because, because who knows how long in Uh, has the steam to still be one punch knockout dangerous if he's dealing with takedowns and, and clinches against the fence and stuff like that. But at the same time, like I said, it seems like Miocic does get hit in his fights a fair amount. Uh, we talked before we started recording about the picture of them together on the set of, uh, of sports center. I think it is, or some ESPN show that got, that was taken today. Uh, and I said maybe that there was something going on in the perspective of the picture to make it look this way, like maybe Francis Ngannou was standing a step or two in front of Miocic, or maybe uh they brought out a milk crate for him to stand on, like he's Andre the Giant. that would be a strange but, choice, but okay. Uh, he looked, let's just say, extra extra large, and Miocic looked extra large. So two different sizes, frankly. Just a, a giant in Francis Ngannou, and like a, a big dude in Stipe Miocic. Well,
0: you saw when they're standing there for the face-off, and Engano brings his fists up to uh, Stipe Miocic's face, and it looks like he's holding up like one of those mill workers' uh, lunch pails that he would bring to the bar with him to, to drink some Modelo's after work.
1: Yeah, uh, and uh, one of the things Francis Engano has got going for him also is that he's 31 years old and 12 fights into his MMA career. Uh, if he doesn't win the title this weekend against Stipe Miocic, I think it's fair to say he will get more opportunities. Uh, and unless... Uh, you know, a, a young crop of heavyweight contenders shows up out of the blue, like, as I guess he kind of did. So. From
0: another planet,
1: perhaps? Yeah, you can't say it's impossible, but at the same time, he's in a pretty good spot. Like, even if he doesn't win the title, uh, the division ain't getting any younger, and Francis Ngannou is going to be dangerous for a long, long time. So, uh, not necessarily do or die for him, although to win the title would... Com- com- Complete this regs to riches story that you know him coming from Cameroon and and being homeless on the streets of France uh, and sets him up as a real promotable guy for the UFC but will Mioji should be able to foil all of that I don't know that's that's one of the interesting things about this fight
0: one question I have before we end this round and this episode when stipe miocic says that he is not intimidated by Francis Ngano that he watch, can watch the Francis Ngano knockout of Alistair Overeem, and there's no part of him that is a little bit worried or you know, any sort of fear about this man and what he can do. Do you believe that? Is it to the point where if you get to where Steve Amiosich is, you've, you've made some sort of peace with your fears. You just, you don't process things that way, the way a normal person would after seeing what Francis Nganu did to Alistair Overeem Uh, is his brain just working on a completely different circuitry pattern or is he just saying what he thinks he has to say?
1: Well, I think you're dealing with a different kind of individual in, in the professional cage fighter. And if you're a heavyweight, every single time out, you're going up against someone who's just terrifying. And maybe Francis Ngannou is the most terrifying guy, uh, in the landscape right now. But, you know, if you're Stephen Amiocic, you fought Alcer him. you just fought Junior Dos Santos, you fought Mark Hunt, you fought Andre Arlovsky, you fought Gabriel Gonzaga, you know, uh, you fought Stefan Struve, you fought all of these different, uh, body types and uh you know skill sets and dangers to you i I gotta think one of the things that allows you to get up in the morning and be the ufc heavyweight champion is you think you'll be fine out there against absolutely anyone i don't necessarily think miocic looks at francis and the same way mere mortals like you and i do at the same time if you're gonna have that edge and be a successful professional mixed martial artist i think you also gotta respect everybody and i think part of that is probably fear i think people probably don't you know, come across as, as being that honest about it all the time. But, you know, guys like Donald Cerrone kind of are, they kind of talk about being scared every time out. And I think if you're Steve Amiojic, you probably carry that great respect for the punching power. Uh, but you also got to think you're going to win, right? Like you think you're going to go out there and use your wrestling and see, see what this guy has, uh, 15 minutes later, 25 minutes later.
0: You know what I would think if I were, if I had to fight Francis Ngannou?
1: Uh, can I get a bus ticket out of town? I would think, is there any way for me to attack him while he sleeps? <laughs> sleep fights. Yeah. Sleep, up, sleep FC. Mm-hmm. We just give you a month. You're going to, you have a month long period where you're in a fight with a guy. Okay. And the, the point is you got to catch him sleeping. Yeah. I like it. I think it'll work. I don't know how we put it on pay-per-view, but, uh, maybe we just stream it live. Yeah.
0: That's right. I mean, you can, people stream themselves playing video games, do all kinds of other crap. Why can't? I stream myself in a pay-per-view fashion attacking a sleeping man.
1: Can you imagine the, the your mentions when your opponent was asleep? Like, everyone would be letting you know. They'd be like, Ben, get over there now. <laughs> he just drank a cup of chamomile tea. Looks like he's going to turn in for the night. Get over there.
0: Yeah. Maybe I start, like, I get on, like, Amazon and I start just sending him a bunch of, like, really dense, like, historical, uh, <laughs> like, biographies and stuff. Yeah.
1: Yeah, here's here's war and peace. Yeah. Get into that. Also, a subscription to a meditation service that you, comes through your phone.
0: That's right. And just three volumes about Warren G. Harding.
1: Well, I'm glad this is how we end the show. Yeah. With this conversation. Uh, that's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. We did do Just Saying Stuff. Oh, shit. We still got to do Just Saying Stuff. I feel like we just kind of did it, to be honest with you. <laughs> but, you know, let's stay the course. Ben, what's your Just Saying Stuff for this week?
0: Uh, Chad, you hear Josh Barnett. He's kind of resigned himself to a long suspension at the hands of Usada. I did, I did uh, a lot of quotes uh, in a story on MMA Junkie uh, by Stephen Morocco last night, uh, where Josh Barnett is just saying he doesn't trust Usada, uh, can't work with them. That they tried to negotiate something. That they, they he feels like he was caught with like a supplement basically, and that they just want to, I believe his words, erect a stake and burn him at it.
1: Never at a loss for words is Josh Barnett. I'm just saying.
0: There are some solid points being made here, but Josh Barnett is kind of the last guy who can make them at this point. I'm just saying.
1: Just saying.
0: You can't fail that many different drug tests and then really dig your feet in the sand on this one. Even if you're right, people don't want to hear it.
1: Just saying. Well, Ben, I'm just saying, finally this week, a professional wrestler has had the correct response To a question of whether or not he would be interested in getting involved in mixed martial arts. This is from uh, Brian Campbell's story over on CBSSports.com. And this is Samoa Joe when asked if he would consider, uh, you know, crossing over and having a mixed martial arts fight. Legitimate tough guy, Samoa, Samoa Joe. Here's what he says. I figure at this point in my career, knowing that my friends and my close family go through a lot in training and in sacrifice, I think it would be disingenuous to them for me to say, oh, well, I'm going to use my fame and parlay it into a fighting career. I've seen the struggles and the heartache and the pain that goes along with being in the fight game. So I'm just saying, yeah, that's that's probably the right answer. Finally. Finally, a professional wrestler gives us the right answer when asked how how interested he would be in a mixed martial arts career. Just saying. Anyway, that's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. We will be back next week with another massive show to break down all the stuff that happens at these dueling events, Bellator 192 and UFC 220. Hell, we'll probably have to look ahead to another UFC event. I assume there's another one.
0: There's always another Coming
1: one. up right on the heels of this one. As for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out.
0: See, maybe what I do is, if I can't get him sleeping, I catch Francis Ngannou coming out of the shower when the floor is kind of wet. And- nope.
1: Nope, don't like your chances. Okay, all right. I would say your best bet is like send him a cozy robe. You know, get him a get him a nightcap as a gift. Maybe. Okay, get slippers. this slippers. Some he's, of those Ugg slippers. He's got fur inside. He's got to go to the dentist. <laughs> well, all right, they put him to sleep. Yeah, yeah. That, that. He's frog.